Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. I don't know about you, uh, but I grew up with Christianity and with Jesus as part of my kind of life. Jesus was part of the wallpaper of my life. Anyone grow up in a kind of a Christian-y, churchy, Jesus-y home? And Jesus was always there, right? Ever since I grew up, like, there was Jesus. But, but honestly, as I grew up and I was a young boy growing up in West London, Jesus was always, like, on the side of my life. He was never at the centre. And because for me, like growing up, I had like things that were exciting to me. They were things like football, sports, when I got a little bit older, going out the weekends, friends, parties and all the things that are associated with that. They felt slightly more interesting to me than Jesus. I think I would have already said I would, like I believe in Jesus, but he was like always there like in the background I didn't quite know how he was really relevant to me if that connects with anyone and it wasn't until my pastor uh, in Ealing David Shawner invited me to read the gospel of Mark with him that my life began to change and he, he asked me one day I was 17 years old and he said how about you and me meet I'll buy you coffee. And I was just like getting into coffee. Starbucks had just opened in Ealing Broadway. He was offering to buy me free coffee. I was like, if I get free coffee, I don't, I don't mind. And I was like, I can't see anything I'm going to lose. And so we started meeting every two weeks and we began to read the Gospel of Mark. And all we would do is he would send me away and say, right, read chapter two. And in two weeks time, just come back. Any questions you have, we'll just talk about it. It's simple. We just caught up, chatted, and any questions I had about chapter two in the Gospel of Mark, and we would do that with chapter three, chapter four, chapter five. And something weird happened. I think the pastor knew what he was doing. I thought we were just meeting for a chat, and this is interesting to read the Bible. But actually, I think he knew, because as I began to read the Gospel of Mark, I began to realise who Jesus actually was. And I was stunned myself to come to this understanding that Jesus was actually someone who is compelling and someone who was actually uh, someone I would want to be around. I just assumed that Jesus was like a slight killjoy, that he was not actually really interested in me having a good life. Like if I, I either had a choice, this was my binary choice I thought I had as a young teenager. Either I go and have fun or I become a Christian. That was basically what I thought my choices were. And he was a man who was strong and yet kind. He was full of conviction and yet was tender at the same time. He lived for something and I was compelled by this man. And I knew in those moments, in those months as I was reading the Gospel of Mark, this is a man that I, I need to follow. And I knew that at that point I couldn't just keep Jesus as like the wallpaper of my life. He had to become front and centre. He had to become my everything. And at that point, I was very glad to start following Jesus. And something happened as I began to read the scriptures for myself and actually follow him for myself. I began to want to tell other people about him. I was reading about Jesus in the Bible and then as I was reading about him I felt this compulsion and this desire and this longing to tell my friends at college 
about him and I would walk through the streets and I would just have this burning desire to want to tell other people about Jesus and so I began trying to tell other people about Jesus and there were good moments about this good things about this and there were bad things about this do you want to know the good things and the bad things okay thanks the good thing was that I actually did want to tell other people about Jesus because I was amazed I it was like I I couldn't believe that Jesus was this good like I'd spent 17 years thinking that he would probably ruin my life if I really followed him and yet I discover on the inside of faith with Jesus that my heart and my life and my joy and peace they're opening up and I thought I can't believe he is this good and I want to tell other people which is evangelism evangelism is literally good newsing telling other people good news if you've ever watched a film or eaten at a restaurant what do you tend to do the next day you're like guys i watched this film it was amazing you got to go see it or whatever some of you know that i like i go running now does anyone know that i go running now yeah 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 all right like why, why do you know that i go running because I'm one of those annoying like evangelists about running right because I know now that everyone should run because it's the freedom and the mental health benefits and the health benefits and it's like just it's one of the most amazing things you can ever do and so running comes up in a lot of my conversations any any, like lots of random conversations I end up talking about running why because I've discovered like contrary to popular belief up until the age of 40 I thought running was like just a PE and that's it and I had to get to 40 like running's actually quite good I'm like surprised and so what do I do I tell people the good news about running that's why you know about it and so as a young 17 18 year old I got some things right. I actually wanted to tell people about the, he's good. Like he's, you think he's not, but he's actually good. He's actually able, he is actually alive. He's actually resurrected. He actually deals with our sin and our guilt and our shame. Like, can I tell you about him? That was a good bit. But looking back now, there was a bad bit. You know what the bad bit was? I think I was actually a terrible evangelist. And this week I spent some time reflecting on like why was I really that bad because I think I really was bad I'm not just like doing fake English modesty thing I do think I was actually not very good at evangelism and here are some of the things I think as I reflect back like some 20 years later why I was not very good I felt that I had to actually convert people I felt I had to persuade people to become Christians and I hadn't understood the difference between conversion and evangelism and there's a big difference right evangelism is saying I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good do you want to know him it's offering Christ speaking about Christ the conversion is nothing to do with me that's in God's hands and yet I felt like I had to convert them which made me way too tense and serious and left me leaving a catalogue of very awkward encounters with people because I felt I had to like close some deal but it's not I, I don't convert anybody it's a free will that God does blesses us opens our eyes and we see Jesus so I made that mistake I also thought I had to kind of explain the whole gospel I, I, I was kind of 
I don't know whether I was taught it or I picked this up or I thought I had to, but I kind of thought evangelism was when the pastor said, hey, guys, it's a really good idea to evangelize and proclaim the gospel. I, th- I imagined a scenario with me in Starbucks with a friend at college in the, like, the common room area. And I had to like, tell them the whole gospel because that's true evangelism. They've got to know that God created everything, the heavens and the earth, and maybe a bit of theology about the angels, if you can get that in. And then we fell, we sinned, but don't worry, Christ came, the little bit of atonement theology there and then and so I kind of thought that you had to like jam in this very fast speaking monologue that's evangelism if you don't do it well you haven't done it properly that's what I felt and so I had this continual like tense feeling that I wasn't doing evangelism properly because I wasn't getting in the the whole thing I mean when I look back at myself I didn't become a Christian because I had this whole systematic explanation of the gospel from creation to recreation I just met Jesus I came to Christ, I'm like, Jesus is amazing. All the other stuff just unfolded after that. But I felt, no, I've got to, so it made me tense and I just monologued at people. <laughs> I mean, uh, it doesn't go down well. Like, have you ever been monologued at? Like, it's not a good, like, not a good tactic. This is what I'm saying. This is the bad things, right? It's not like, do this stuff, okay? The third thing I thought, there's only four. I think I talked way too much and didn't listen. We had some people knocking at our door yesterday. Toria answered the door, thankfully. But uh, they knocked on the door and they had some tracks and things they wanted to give to us. Toria got in quite quickly that actually we're Christians. She even said we're born again Christians just to like drop the Christian lingo. You know, like, no, we're like in, in. You know, we get it. Like we're, we're Christians. Don't worry about it. And what did they do? They didn't pay a blind bit of notice because they had things to say and tracks to give and Bibles to give out. It's like, no, we're, we're already part of the team. Like they didn't care. No, we've got things to do. We've got stuff to give you. We want things to, you know, like... Sometimes we can do, and I did that a lot. I was like, I just feel like I've got to tell you things. And I never like listened to people where, where they're at. And the last thing, and maybe mo- the most embarrassing thing, that I, I felt like I, I had to be the hero of the story. Like when I look back, like I feel like more than just telling good news, I actually, I wanted to be the hero. This was my like dream scenario, right? I would kind of be going to get my coffee because by that time, the age of 18, I was already an addict and hooked. So I was going to get my coffee and I would go to like order my cappuccino and like the lady behind the till would be like, look at my face and realize I was like radiating with the glory of God because I'd just been reading the scriptures and praying. And, and so she would look at me and I'd feel this like sense from the Lord that I should speak to her. So I'd, I, I would say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And she would look at me and she's like, I'm so glad you asked. I noticed there's, some, there's something about you. I need, would you tell me about Jesus? And I would say, as I was paying for my coffee, I, I would say, I would gladly tell you about Jesus. And she would respond and she would say something like, you know, tell me how I can be saved. This is how I imagined that my best scenarios would go. And I will tell you right now, it's very simple. And I was explaining to her, she can just trust in Jesus. She can know him. And then she'd say, would you lead me in a prayer right now? And so she would kneel down right there to the side of the counter and I would pray with her. And then in my dream scenario, what would happen is that the whole of Starbucks would have gone hushed because they were watching me. 
but I wasn't me and I didn't care therefore what they thought you know normal every cir everyday circumstances I really do super aware like you know they're, they're listening to me talking about Jesus I feel so tense but in my dream scenarios I'm so relaxed and confident because I've got the aura of God about me and they all look and they're all quiet and then she turns to her colleagues and everyone says you must tell these people as well and so I turn around and I tell them about Jesus and I give a 10 minute sermon and then 75% of the people in the coffee shop say I want to become a Christian too and then I walk off into the distance after this like James Bond you know like cuffing myself like job done I live to see another day this was like deep down as a vain teenager like how I wanted evangelism to go and I could go to my Baptist church and say I've got the secret I know how to do it because deep down I wanted to be the hero and I was like, I, I want to give Jesus, but I also want to look good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I really want this to go well so I can tell other people that I'm quite good at this stuff. And what I realized after a couple of years is that I really actually was, that was an introverted 18 year old's fantasy. The reality was I left a lot of very awkward conversations behind thinking, how on earth do you do evangelism? That's a long introduction to tell you I'm going to talk about evangelism <laughs> but what I hope to do is like kind of do what I've been learning I feel like for some like 20 years and I want to do a deconstruction on what evangelism looks like for us today in London because I feel like I've been spending 20 years just trying to understand what it is for us to share the gospel and I am still on this journey but, but I want to kind of do a quick deconstruction and just open up what, what this means. Because we talk about one of our five priorities is proclaiming the gospel. And I, I would imagine when you hear proclaiming the gospel, all sorts of things come into your mind. And what I really want to do is kind of tell you what we mean by that. Because it may not mean everything that you implicitly or emotionally think it means and if we think it's something that it actually isn't what can happen is that we live with this low-grade guilt that we're not doing it very well or we live with low-grade disappointment because we wish we were better and I would imagine after we've done this kind of deconstruction from this passage that many of us would actually be more encouraged than we imagined that's my hope anyway when we get to this passage here we, we learn a few things. I mean, this really, this is kind of ground zero of evangelism. This is the first moment of evangelism. The first moment where someone else, someone who follows Jesus, goes and tells someone else that they should come and see and find out about Jesus. And in this moment, what, what, what we find is that all these different people have different kind of roles in the process of Andrew and then Simon Peter coming to faith. So we have John the Baptist who is preaching. He's doing like the Billy Graham stuff, you know, declaring, preaching, telling other people about Jesus. But he doesn't do everything because the people who follow Jesus because of his preaching don't even stay at his church. They leave John the Baptist and follow Jesus and get hosted at another person's home. And then there is this anonymous person or a family or a couple who have this home who are hosting these two disciples and hosting 
Jesus. And we have Jesus himself asking this question. He's walking along the road back to someone's house and he asks this question of these two disciples. And then one of these two disciples we find out is Andrew. And Andrew then goes and he tells his brother, Simon Peter, and he tells him and invites him, you've got to come and find out about Jesus. So you get this whole matrix of different people doing different things and using the gifts and the moments and the opportunities that they have in their moments to see people come to know Jesus. Later on, John, I think reflecting on this, he says in John chapter 4, verse 37, he says, For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. What he's saying is that some people, their role is to sow some seeds in someone's life. It's just a short conversation at the till while you're buying something. You're at uni with them for three years and you're conversing and you're talking, sharing your faith. But you might not be the one who actually leads them to faith. You might be with someone else, the person who actually leads them to faith. But you are reaping something that other people have sowed for and prayed for. And we all have a different part to play. So just because you have not had that hero moment in Starbucks where you've taken someone from the beginning of understanding about God to conversion in Christ Jesus, baptised them in the local river, and you've done everything from the out... We're not meant to be the Alpha and Omega. We just simply play our part wherever we may be. And what I want to do is just unpack these four things. Preaching, asking questions hospitality and inviting and it's quite practical i'm not normally very practical so it's been a bit of an uncomfortable preparation here but i'm i want to give some practical stuff for us just to help us and hopefully decompress a little bit and 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 encourage us is that all right okay four things um and let me just say as well, if, if you're not a Christian here and um, I mean, you hate evangelism full stop because you've had you've been on the other side of me, you know, awkward conversations with a Christian and wish they would stop it. We just want to say you're super welcome. No one's going to jump on you here. No one's going to track you down. No one's going to put any pressure on you. No one comes to Christ through being forced into anything. Right. We're here because we met Jesus and we started following him. So we say you're super welcome here. Ask any questions. Um, but we as church are going to talk about sharing good news. Why? Because we've, we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Amen. So the first thing I want to talk about is preaching. Why? Because this is a key part of these first moments of people coming to faith. Verse 35, the next day again, again, because this was not the first rodeo for John. He'd been preaching for a while. In verse 29, we find out the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when he says again, this was a practice of John to preach and proclaim. John was standing with the two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus and as Jesus walked towards him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Preaching is a key part of evangelism. Not that everyone has to preach, but that having people hear the gospel preached is a key part of people coming to faith 
in Jesus. We learn four things here about preaching. The first is that preaching is an invitation to know Christ because he says behold look he's ushering people saying you've got to turn your attention away from me and look at Jesus preaching is an invitation to all of us today whether we're Christians or whether we're not a Christian it's an invitation to know Christ the second thing about preaching that we learn is that it's weird because he says behold the Lamb of God ever been in church when you've sung a song and you think hang on a minute even Pete said it about this one song we sang today about bringing the enemy's head back to us and you're like hang on a minute did I even just sing that do I mean that you know and you talk about like the lamb of God blood that was shed for us some of preaching is strange Christianity does not always fit with culture but we're not to be too afraid of that we don't want to be like weird just for the sake of being weird but there are weird bits in the Bible And when we talk about Jesus, the Lamb of God, we explain what does that mean? Because it's full of meaning. The third thing we know about this is that it's all about Jesus. Preaching is not self-help. Preaching is not how do I feel better. We do get help and we do feel better, but not because we think about ourselves, because we talk about Jesus. He is our help. He is the one who comes alongside us. And so preaching is about Jesus. And the fourth thing we learn here is that preaching is powerful. God has ordained that when the Bible is opened and when a preacher comes under the word of God and proclaims Christ from the Bible, the Holy Spirit blesses moments like this so that other people have their eyes opened and see that Jesus is actually the resurrected Lord. It's powerful. And so we believe in preaching at Trinity. I mean, it's not a new thing for people to be kind of criticising and saying that preaching should really disappear or it should be videos or skits or drama or shorter. Don't say anything about my long preaching. But it's, that's, that's not new, just, just to let you know. Churches and culture have always been saying that preaching should be kind of maybe moved to the side and more space for other stuff. But God has ordained that this is one means, just as Genesis 1, God spoke that someone would speak truth and speak Christ and the Holy Spirit would create new birth and so we believe in preaching that's one thing that we hold to first thing preaching the second thing is this asking questions it's interesting this is the very first words that Jesus says in the gospel of John and what is it it's not a monologue it's a question verse 38 with these two disciples that start following him he turns to them And he says, what are you seeking? And one scholar, Douglas Estes, he notices, noticed, that the first words that Jesus also speaks when he was resurrected was not a sermon, but a question. He asked Mary, why are you weeping? This is the omniscient, all-knowing one, right? And at the very end, the very last thing that Jesus says in John's gospel is not a gospel presentation, it's a question. He tells John, like, asks John, what's that to you? Because he was wondering about his friend and how they were going to die. What's that to you? You follow me. And he makes this point that one of the key ways that Jesus draws people to himself is through questions. And he has this fascinating insight. And he, he, he says that Westerners are not good with questions. Like we read questions and I read this and I was like, oh yeah, yeah guilty like I've, I, I do this all the time and what westerners do is we read a question in the in the scriptures and we immediately turn it into a statement so Jesus says what are you seeking 
And someone like myself would say, okay, I know what Jesus is doing here. He's saying that we need to seek something true. We need to seek him. You see what I've done? I've totally flattened out. He's making a theological statement with his question. And, And what he says is that Westerners therefore miss a key way of evangelism and discipleship. Because we think in binary terms, and this is how I thought for years, like evangelism is this, there is a formula. I need to give you the formula, an equation, an algebraic equation. I give you the content of the gospel, the need to respond, a bit of urgency and a question equals yes or no. Respond or don't respond. You like he Jesus, you don't like he Jesus. What is it going to be? That was how, and obviously like 99 times out of 100, it would be like blank stares and no. So, okay, the equation is a no this time. Fine. But look how he makes the point that we missed the fact that Jesus isn't actually making just a theological, he's actually asking a question. Like, just stop and think. I, I, you know, you might think I'm simple. Like, oh no, he actually is just asking a question. Sure, it's got depths of meaning to it. But if you ask a question, it's different to an equation, right? Equation ends up right or wrong. Do you like Jesus? Do you not like Jesus? But a question opens up how many different strands of conversation, right? What are you seeking? That conversation could go anywhere. <laughs> And it may come to a conclusion or it may not come to a conclusion. And Douglas Essie says this is one of the key ways that the church needs to learn how to evangelise and discipleship. This is some of the other questions that Jesus asked. There are so many. But let me just give you some as an example. He asked some people, do you believe? And that's not a statement. I, used, I always read that as like, you must believe. No, no, he's asking. He's, he's trying to find out, do you believe? Like, do, do you have faith? Do you want to be healed? It's a question. He's curious. Tell me about his life. Do you you want to be healed? Do you want to go away as well? People were leaving him. He's like, what about you? I don't think he was like, had a chip on his shoulder. I don't think that was Jesus' style. He was like, literally just trying to find out. Do you want to go? Like, do you want to leave? Did I not choose you? Do you love me? Why are you afraid? He wasn't telling them off. It's a question. Why? Like, why are you afraid? talk about it you realize how much we flatten out so much of like why do you call me good where is your faith and jesus here in this asked in this moment asks, what are you seeking what are you what are you seeking and i wonder whether we need to ask more questions and just find out where it takes us there are all sorts of questions you can ask right i was in the barbers last week you might be able to tell i don't know um you all went very quiet there. I don't, I, I, I don't even know why I made myself vulnerable like that. It's like the vanity. Um, anyway, um, where was I? The barbers. I was in the barbers. And obviously, like some barbers are super chatty and you wish they weren't. I just want to sit here. Some barbers are like super quiet and you wish they weren't. So, hey, let's have a conversation. You know, but sometimes the two match. And I wasn't in a particularly chatty mood, but... I, my kind of go-to is football normally just like because getting from Chelsea to Jesus is not that hard so I was like it's, it's easy to do so anyway I was like at the moment anyway um, I was just like so you like football just a question like just see just, just asking where things could go anyway and it t- t- turns up that he's, he ruined his knees playing football 
And I thought, that's interesting. And then it dropped into my mind, well, I, my knees, I got ruined through sports. And for like 10 years, I couldn't play any sports and he can't play football. And so off the back of that, I thought, well, blow it. I'll just share my story of how I got healed. And by the way, my story involves going to a Christian conference, getting prayed for and Jesus healing me. So I was like, I'm just going to throw it out there and just see what comes back. Um, so I shared this story like, hey, like he's been to the doctor and stuff. Like I, I shared a similar issue. I prayed and there's this conference and Jesus, he healed me. Just seeing what, you know, like, like fishing, you know, like what's his response going to be? Like, he didn't respond at all. He didn't even, like, wince at the name of Jesus. You know, it wasn't like, there was absolutely nothing. So, the haircut carried on. And that's the end of the anecdote. But I asked a question. I don't know where it's going to lead. I was in the Apple shop the other day as well, trying to get my mouse fixed because it was broken. And the guy, the genius, self-acclaimed genius, he had, his, uh, had this, like, sticker on his thing and he said, Believe. And so I was like waiting there while he's going to find out about the mouse. And I was like, huh, that's weird. Believe. So I asked him like, what are we supposed to believe in? Thinking like, that's just a question. I mean, I have no idea where that's going to go, right? That could go anywhere. Guess where it went? You'll never guess where it went. It went to Ted Lasso. Anyone seen Ted Lasso? The Apple, TV, Apple show? Because the coach puts believe on the top of the door, right? And it was the believe sign. And so I was thinking we get to Jesus. And I told him, I thought, oh, we're going to talk about Jesus. And he said, no, no, it's Ted Lasso. And I was like, okay. that's." But he didn't want to take the conversation any further. We stopped with Ted Lasso. I tried to get it to Jesus. We ended up at Ted Lasso. So, and I've learned to be cool with that because it's just asking questions and you just see where it's going to go. I like asking people if they're religious because a lot of people are and it's like quite a fun conversation and actually a lot of people are like, yeah, no, whatever, you know, and, or tattoos, you know, if someone's got tattoos, I feel like tattoos are fair game. If someone's put a tattoo where everyone can see them, like, I feel like you can ask about that, right? It's kind of, there's a, there's a meaning to that. So I like asking about tattoos. What's that mean? What's that mean? Like, just be annoying and curious and just see where things go because deep down, we are all wanting good. We all want joy. We all want peace. Most people have stopped the things of this world and we have discovered that Jesus, the maker of the world, is the one who gives us that joy and the peace. So we're just finding questions to connect and say, I said, my hope's up here. So we ask questions. Am I, am, I, uh, am I connecting, making sense? The third thing is this, and I'm going to go a bit quicker. Hospitality. This is quite funny because we know that Jesus didn't own his own home. So it seems that he was being hosted by someone else and him, the guest, then invited two other people. I mean, imagine this. Imagine a white English person inviting two people round for a 6.30 dinner and they, without even saying anything, invite another two other people. You're like, imagine the tension and the stress that would come over that English person. You're like, this was not in the programme. <laughs> and yet Jesus... He's like, he's get hosted. Jesus turns to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said, hey, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So they came and they were hosted by this anonymous family. And hospitality and opening up our flats and our homes and our dorms is an underestimated part of sharing Christ with other people. It's 
completely underestimated. And everything in London works against it, I think, because the air that we breathe is kind of the air of efficiency, right? It's the air of get things done, and it's the air of not showing weakness or vulnerability. But what do you do when you say to someone, hey, come over to my place? It's actually quite a vulnerable thing to do, right? Because when you're at work, you can put your work demeanor on. You're in your skill set. You've got your thing. You know what to do. You know what to say. Like, and if it's not going well, you can disappear or you can write emails. And it's kind of safe because you're in your zone, right? But when you invite someone into your house, it's like vulnerable because there's like lingering moments and quiet moments and like your house might not be Pinterest ready and you're like, oh, it's kind of like not how I want to, you know, you look super sharp at work and oh, your home's a bit like fuddy-duddy and like normal <laughs> because you think it's not. But what Jesus does here is he hosts. He doesn't entertain which is where so often we get caught up, I think. We think in terms of entertaining people. Well, the house has got to be ready for starters. I haven't hoovered yet. You know, I've got no, nothing special in the fridge. I, I don't know, what, like, you're, you're half an hour early. For, you know, English people, we like to have a six and a half week, you know, forward notice, put it in the calendar. And we want to know, is it 6.30 or 6.45? Like, we need, like, we, we, we're, we're so... Why? Because we're wired to entertain. That's kind of what we grow up with. Like we've got to entertain. Sit down in my home. Have a nice drink. What would you like from my well-stocked, you know, cabinet of drinks? That's never normally well-stocked, but... (laughs) But for this night only, I've got a selection of five. And so we think, well, if we, we can't do that. But honestly, if people wanted to be entertained, they would go to a, if they wanted nice food, a clean environment and not have to do any washing up, they'd go to a restaurant, right? Why do people come around to your house? Because they want friendship. They want people. They want connection. They want meaning. They, they want something real and tangible. In a city that's always trying to get you to be more efficient and less personal, people are desperate for those quiet, vulnerable moments of actual connection with other people. And so what it requires is for Christians to say, I'll make myself vulnerable and say, look, rather than going out for drinks tonight, why don't you just come back to my house? I don't know what I've got at home. It might be pasta. It might be whatever. I think people actually appreciate that more because it says to them that you're not trying to entertain them or put your best show on. You're actually willing to let them see you just as you normally are. You are letting them into the real you. I don't know what's at home. I can't remember what's in the fridge, but why don't you just come back and have some dinner before you go home? Or do, do you get what I'm saying? Because in that moment, we buy ourselves vulnerability and openness and space and time. Because at some point, you've got to stop talking about the, the office chit-chat and banter. And you can ask questions like, how are things going? What's going on with your family? How are your mum and dad? These kind of questions that actually touch what's real so hospitality you don't have to have a pinterest ready flat to do this it's just hosting people making sense getting practical and the last thing is this this is inviting because andrew who gets hosted and you can imagine if you spend some time with jesus he's going to start talking about the kingdom of god right and he gets interested and he says jesus 
I need you to meet my brother because I think he's going to be interested in this. And so he goes, so it's verse 41. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John. From now, you're going to be called Cephas, which means Peter. Which is amazing because Andrew doesn't make up Peter's mind for him. I could imagine if he were like me, he would have gone something like, well, my, my brother, like my brother would never become a Christian. Like I like Jesus, but my brother, he's, he's so hard headed. Like he's, he's so irrational. His temper is always like, he's so emotional. Like he would never listen to Jesus. And if I were Andrew or if he were me, I would have made Peter's mind up for him. We're like, well, he won't say yes to coming to hear about the Messiah. But Andrew does something that I think we all need to do as Christians, and he gives Peter the opportunity to decide for himself. So often, as Christians, if you're like me, I'll take that back and just talk about me, I decide whether someone will say yes or no. <laughs> Well, they don't look like someone who's going to say yes to an invitation to the Christianity Explore course. I mean, we went out flyering this week, last week, and I realised I was even doing it then, like profiling the softness of someone's heart. Like, how, who am I? I have no idea. Like, no, they probably won't say yes. Or they, yeah, they might, you know, like, I have no idea. Just invite when you think about the, the parable of the sower, you know, Jesus told this parable about the sower who was sowing seed, right? And it's actually quite encouraging. Because, I mean, if, if I were a sower in that parable and my evangelistic strategy would be like, okay, well, here's a field and I've got this bag of seed here, which we're told is the word of God, the gospel, the good news. Well, I need to find like the really fertile patches. And so I would be there like taking pH samples of soil, you know, like checking which bits of no, that's, that's no good. That won't take. And I probably end up like sowing two seeds in one corner because maybe I think I've determined that that's where the seed is going to grow. And yet when you, Jesus tells his parable of the sower, right? He seems like he's got this sack of seeds and he is throwing it everywhere i mean the guy is reckless we're told that it falls on the path that's not clever is it it falls into the thorny soil why would you put it in the thorny soil it falls into the rocky soil why would you do that and some falls in the good soil what's the approach of evangelism it's just like i'm gonna scatter this anywhere and everywhere and i'm gonna see what comes back amen this is evangelism. So if you've had like 14 people like just look at you blankly and be like, please never talk about Jesus again in my presence, okay? Like you're not doing anything wrong. Like 75% of the soil that Jesus talked about was like not going to take. But that's not evangelism. It's not our job to sort the results out. It's our job just to sow the seed. It doesn't matter. It's not our job to profile people's softness or hardness of heart. We just like, would you like to come to Christianity Explored? You may want to come. It's about Jesus. I've, I've tasted and seen that he's good. Like, put it in your own language. Like, he's actually changed my life. I don't know how to say it, but if you wanted to discover and find out and just explore, read the Bible, why don't you come to church? If you find you get helped by Jesus at church, tell someone. It's like, do you know on yesterday, we prayed for this thing, we're praying for my, our souls to be strengthened, and I was just feeling quite weak, and I just felt like, you know, you know that moment on a Monday how was your weekend? Why don't you like tell them, like shock them? You know, like, 
Actually, I went to church and during worship at the weekend, I got prayed for and my soul felt strengthened and I met Jesus. And just see what they say. You don't have to get weird or tense or serious about it after that. Just like, see if they want to talk about it. Evangelism. That's it. That's my message. Okay. That's practical. Um, I hope I've deconstructed it somewhat. And I, my hope is that more Jesus would be talked about by more people without any tense, weird, awkward pressure. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.